This podcast was recorded at Redemption Alhambra Village in Phoenix, Arizona. For more information about Redemption Alhambra Village, visit redemptionaz.com. If you don't know me, my name is Pastor Wes, and I'm one of six elders here at this church. And I got to say, I, lo- I love, I just thank God that he saw fit to bring me here to this congregation, to this church, with you beautiful people. I just thank him for that. You know why? Because the two years that I've been here in this congregation pastoring at this church, I've grown more than I ever have in this whole span of my salvation. I've been saved for 13 years, been in the ministry the same amount of time. In the last two years, I've grown way more than those other 11 here. Why? Because God has given me an understanding of what true community looks like and what, and what living Christianity out in the life it, uh, side by side with brothers and sisters and truly getting into the lives of one another, into the mess, into the grime, into all that. Because when you're in that, whenever something good does happen, there's real rejoicing that takes place. Amen. Isn't that crazy? It's like, oh, you were doing bad, but you're doing good. Yes! Like there was real rejoicing instead of that hating that goes on at other places that don't really cl- click like that. Something good happens. Oh, I'm so proud of you, brother. I am so proud of you, brother. Yeah, right. There's not no genuine. So that's what I've learned here for those two, two years, how to truly live life. And another thing about being a pastor here, I'm trying to stand here so you can see me. All right. So <laughs> yeah, all right. You're welcome. <laughs> so, and I can look at my deal. And you can still see me. All right. So another... Uh, Good thing that I love about being a pastor here is all the perks that come with it. Although we're not paid, we're all volunteers, there is perks that come with being a pastor here. Like we get to go to conferences for free. <laughs> for free, okay? And last, like last night or this whole weekend, I was kicking it with Paul Tripp. Yeah, Paul Tripp had a, mer- a parenting conference and I got invited and I got to hang out with the homie, me and, uh, me and my wife. And he was doing the parenting conference and my oldest, he's 12. And so I'm so glad that I got to meet Paul Tripp and talk with him and go to his conference because I figured out I did everything wrong with my 12-year-old. <laughs> I was like, whoa, my kid is messed up. I got a lot of, I got a lot of work to do <laughs> with him. Yeah, so I learned a lot, you know, with, with Paul Tripp. So. And another cool thing is um, the last, well, Aaron didn't go to that one, and everybody was asking about you, bro. They were asking about you. He didn't go to that one. Yeah, you are popular. You're super popular. They were asking about you. He's like, nah, I'm too good for trail. <laughs> but anyways, the last conference that Aaron, me, and Wayne got to go to was in L.A. Remember that? Think about this. Okay, whatever's going on in your mind, can you imagine me, Aaron, and Wayne driving to California by ourselves? <laughs> whatever's going on your, whatever is going on in your mind right now, yes, that's what happened. <laughs> that's, that's exactly what happened. Whatever you're thinking, yes. That's what happened. But when we're out, when we're out at this conference, because when we go to these conferences, we get to meet very influential people. Like, uh, I mean, just people that you wouldn't even think were, were that influential. Like, you're talking to the person, and next thing you know, he's like, hey, Wes, hold on. i got to go on stage and, and just shock the whole world. So he gets up on stage, and he does his thing. You're like, well, I was just talking to that dude. Like, because they're so humble, you don't even know that that's them. So they get up there, drop that nuclear bomb, they come back down. Where were we at? Where were we talking about? It's like, whoa, wait, wait. You're him? And so, so I got to meet a guy like that. His name is, uh, well, not meet him. I got to actually sit down and talk to him this time. I met him before, but his name's Rick McKinley. 
yeah, this dude is a wonderful, wonderful guy. And I got to meet him. He's a pastor of a church called Imago Day out in Portland, Oregon. It's a great church. Uh, anybody know Lee Green and Perla Green? Yeah, they, that's not their home church, but they go out there and visit. You know, Lee Green goes and blesses the mic with his raps out there. So, you know, there's our connection right there with the Lee Green. And they go to Rick McKinley's church every once in a while. But Rick McKinley, he's the lead pastor of that church, and he's also, also an author of a book. Uh, several books. I just only read one, but he's the author of that book that I read, and it's called The Answer to Our Cry. And the cool thing about that book is there's a chapter in there where he talks about his daughter who has special needs, right? And that, like, oh, just ripped me to the core because if you know me, you know that I'm an advocate for the special needs community. I love, I love that God has placed me in that position to be able to, to be a voice to be a hand, to help, to do all the things that me and my entire family can do for those with special needs. So I just love that God has blessed me with that, and that book was awesome. So if you didn't know this about me, I'm a Facebook stalker. Right. Yeah. yeah, because one of, my one of my jobs when I'm working with the special needs community is to get in on the computer and write reports. I love working with the kids and adults, but when you have to write the reports, oh, oh. Oh, so I'm writing the report. So what better to do than have Facebook next to you when you're writing the reports, <laughs> right? So, I mean, I be stalking everybody. So I'll come up to you like, hey, how's the baby doing? How'd you know my baby was sick? <laughs> hey, how's the kidneys? Well, I just want to know about my kidneys. No, because I know everything because I'm a Facebook stalker. That's what I do. So I decided a few weeks ago that I was going to go ahead and stalk Mr. Rick McKinley. <laughs> like, oh, what's Rick up to? That's how I know people. I have, <laughs> have virtual friends, you know. <laughs> so what's Rick up to? Hmm. So I go on his page, right? I know it sounds creepy, but that's just what I do. And I know all of you do it. You're just judging me right now. That's the problem. <laughs> all of you do it. So I'm like, huh, what's Rick going up to? So uh, what's Rick doing? So I read all of his posts. I do that. I mean, I will go through years of y'all's junk. <laughs> Like, oh, so that's 2015. Huh, that was interesting. Let me go ahead and go to 2014, see what he's doing then. Oh, he wasn't saved in 2014. <laughs> so, so I was reading Rick's, <laughs> I was reading Rick's stuff, right? I was reading Rick's stuff, and I was like, oh, this is good stuff. Yeah, I could tell that he's a lead pastor. I could tell he's very respectable. Everybody loves him. And then I got to this one particular update on Rick McKinley, and he was talking about how somebody fell out of ministry. And this is what his update said. It said, I'm thinking about a good friend in ministry who's getting indicted soon. There's lots of ministry drama. His stewardship guy got caught embezzling money. Leadership is divided on who's going to step in when he's out. People are saying that they would have his back, but then they changed their story at the very last minute. They didn't stick it out with him. It's pretty rough when all of this goes down on your watch. All in all, real messy. But he seems to be strong in faith despite all the legality and staff drama, et cetera, et cetera. And when I read that, I was like, oh, not again. Not this kind of stuff again. And then, so that only lasted for like two seconds. And I was like, who is it? Right? So I started reading all the replies, trying to figure out, <laughs> so who is this person, you know? So I'm reading all the replies, and I was like, why does everybody have to be holy when I'm trying to be nosy? They're like, oh, we're praying for your brother. I was like, no. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I feel sorry for your friend. Too bad all this stuff's happening. I'm like, who is it, though? Who is it? Like, I'm nosy like that. And so I hit Rick up privately. <laughs> I was like, so who is it, man? And he did not respond. He did not, <laughs> he did not respond to me. But he, what he did do is he put out uh, a thing on his status. Told you, fake Facebook stalker, so I'm following his status. So he put out a thing on his status, and this was an update. He said, for many of you that were wondering who my friend is, I know he's directing that straight towards me. So for many of you wondering who my friend is, I was talking about Jesus earlier. See, he said, I've been reading the Gospels, and now I'm moving more towards the end of the Gospels. 
And he said, I, I was just curious of what that would sound like these days. He said, yeah, it was way different back then. It was a different time, but it was so very similar to what we're facing today. Yeah, that ripped my heart right out of my chest. <laughs> and then when, when, I, when I read that reply, I immediately thought of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15, that says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. That's Hebrews 4, 15. See, guys, Jesus, in every respect of the word, was tempted just like you and me, yet without sin. It's wonderful. So today, as we start our, our Holy Week journey, I'm going to preach about uh, Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem. And then Friday, we're going to contrast, uh, have, draw a contrast between the hosannas that were screamed that day right, as they were welcoming Jesus into the city, we're going to contrast that with the crucify him, crucify him that was screamed a few days later by the same people. And then on Sunday, we will celebrate the power that solidified Jesus as our king, that solidified Jesus as Lord of lords, Savior of all, that undeniable power that displays Jesus for all that he is, a power that says, Jesus, you are Messiah. We get to celebrate that on Sunday. We get to focus on that, and we get to celebrate Jesus' resurrection. So that's wonderful. So as I was going over this passage, there were three things that I thought would be good to highlight, and we're going to be actually in Matthew chapter 21. So if you got your Bibles, go to Matthew chapter 21. And if you need Bibles, there are some studs back there that will get you Bibles. Okay, so raise your hand if you need a Bible. And those studly men will get one, get you one. So Matthew chapter 21, and we're going to be in verse 1 all the way to 17. Matthew 21, verse 1 through 17. So as I was going over these passages, three things that I would like to highlight. The first thing is this, Jesus from a street point of view. So Jesus, a view of Jesus from the streets, and that's the first thing I want to cover. I was, I was, um... As I was going through this, God blessed me to see a contrast going on with the triumphal entry. And I was blown away by it. I was blown away because the triumphal entry of our king, uh, it was an act of royalty, yeah. right? That was a royal act. However, when Jesus entered in, it looked more like poverty's anthem. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Even though it was a royal act, it looked like, wait, what's going on here? Like poverty's anthem. If poverty ever shouted out for its king, the streets of Jerusalem that day would come real close to answering. So that's poverty's answer, uh, anthem, and we'll get into that a little bit later. And the second thing that stood out to me was Jesus was headed to the house, to the house. And when that stood out to me, I'm sorry, guys, but I love football. And so a football analogy just stood out to me. When the kicker kicks the ball off, there's a guy that returns the ball. Catch. The guy that returns the ball has the opportunity to fake out everybody. Oh, oh, oh. So he's faking out everybody. Then all of a sudden he fakes out everybody and he's breaking and about to score a touchdown. And all that's in front of him is the end zone in green grass and he's taking it to the house. To the house. So that's the analogy I have in my mind as Jesus taking it to the house. So Jesus is riding into Jerusalem. The city's behind him. He's taking it to the house only to be met by what? Thieves and hustlers. And so he takes it to the house, and thieves and hustlers are there, and then this righteous anger begins to fill up Jesus, and Jesus gets gangsta on him real quick. <laughs> we'll get into that a little bit later. 
And the third thing that made me fall in love with Jesus all the more is that Jesus went in the temple. Many of you are probably thinking like, well, what's the difference between the house and the temple? I mean, same thing. I'll go ahead and let the cat right out of the bag right now and say that the house was made of stone, guys. That house was made of stone. Anybody could have walked up in that house. But the temple was made out of love as its walls consist of the hearts of God's regenerated people. (laughs) We'll get into that a little bit later. So let's go to our passage, Matthew chapter 21, verse 1 through 17. And if you would, please stand with me as we honor the reading of God's word. Matthew chapter 21, verse 1 through 17. And this is how how it reads. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethphage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, go into the village in front of you and immediately you will find the donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, the Lord needs them and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet saying, say to the daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the fowl of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put, them, and put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up, saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, Oh. This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. And Jesus entered the temple and drove out all who sold and bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. Oh, my bad. And he said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you make it a den of robbers. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, and the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. And they said to him, do you hear what they're saying? And Jesus said to them, yes. Have you never read out of the mouths of infants and nursing babies you have prepared praise? And leaving them, he went out of the city to Bethany and lodged there. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you so much for sending Jesus. Father, for you so loved the world, and your plan has always been to redeem your people and to restore the world that you love back to its original purpose, which is to magnify you with no distortion of sin, tainting its beauty from our eyes, but through, through blood-stained love, our sight has been restored. Father, I thank you for that. Thank you so much for sending Jesus. Thank you for sending Jesus to ride on the streets of Jerusalem. Thank you for sending Jesus to walk the Via Della Rosa. Thank you, God, for sending Jesus to die, but not only stay dead, but to rise from the dead and to ascend above the clouds. Thank you, Father, for your son. And thank you for your spirit as well, for your spirit that gives us life, gives us life so that we can recognize Jesus as our king and our savior. And we pray these things in his name. Amen. Amen. You guys may be seated. Let's get into the first point. A view from the streets. Now, if you guys were expecting some exegetical practice coming on up here today, I'm sorry. That's just not what today's going to bring, all right? Well, maybe a little bit, because I'm going to start out with some quick 
quick history, okay? Just a little bit quick history. When you think of the triumphal entry, okay, the triumphal entry into a city was pretty much commonplace back then. It wasn't like that, oh, wow, Jesus is doing something radical. No, people try to make these triumphal entries all the time, especially Caesars. It was an act or a gesture of, like, loyalty and fealty or faithfulness from a king to his people or from a governor to his region. It was a big deal when this happened, but it wasn't, like, very uncommon. It was a big deal because the important figure would ride in to the city on a steed, all right? And he would ride in, and sometimes, depending on his mood, he may have his wife with him. Who knows? And she would have her own horse or whatever, and they would ride in together. And they looked very, very good because they were draped in the finest of robes. Fine linen they were wearing. And they would have their, their nobles escorting them into the city. And their nobles had very good-looking clothes, too. And so what the nobles would do is they would throw those robes over the steed as well and throw them over the, the important figure as well and actually throw those robes down on the ground so when he enters in, he's treading on nothing but the finest. Why? Because this dude is important. Triumphal entry into a city. And then Jesus has his entry. Here comes the triumphal entry of our King Jesus. All the elements were pretty much there. I mean, the crowd was there, right? They were shouting, Hosanna! Hosanna in the highest. Why? Why were they shouting that? Because just a few days earlier, John chapter 12 tells us this. Just a few days earlier, these people were in Bethany learning from Jesus and marveled to see Lazarus standing next to Jesus. They're tripping. They were tripping. Okay. What would you think if, like, a 12-year-old kid got to meet LeBron James? How would that kid be feeling? All right, think of my son, if you guys know my son. So JD's going up. I'm like, hey, J.D., around this corner, I got a surprise for you. So J.D. goes around the corner, it's LeBron James. He's like, oh, it's now. That's LeBron James. No matter what LeBron tells J.D., J.D.'s going to agree with him, right? Because he's, he's like, that's LeBron James. Hey, J.D., you are a good kid. Yes, I am. Yes, I am. Do good in school. I will, I will, I will. Like, no matter what he says, because that's LeBron James, he's going to like, oh, my goodness, there's nothing you can do to shake him out of that. And I believe that's what was going on here, but not towards Jesus, but towards Lazarus. So as Jesus is teaching, they're looking at him like, uh-huh, uh-huh, but that's Lazarus. Uh-huh, uh-huh, wait, he was dead. Uh-huh, uh-huh, he's alive. Yeah, you're saying something, but that's Lazarus. So like they weren't really that focused. It was like, this dude was dead. Jesus has power. And Jesus is trying to teach them and, and talk to them, but they just weren't focused. And then they left Bethany and headed back to Jerusalem, waiting for this day of the triumphal entry of their king. The God that can raise people from the dead. They were tripping. And so that's what they did. So they went back to Jerusalem believing in Jesus. And so now here comes Jesus being uh, led by his nobles. And you hear everybody, the whole crowd screaming, Hosanna, Hosanna. You know this word Hosanna has been changed. And it, it jacked me up. Because I always thought it was praise. Hallelujah. And then it's like, wait, hold on. Let's go to the Hebrew now. The actual root of this word is save us. Free us, or liberate us. I'm like, dang, well, that makes my theology way better, but I kind of missed the, the easy hallelujah. <laughs> you know I mean, I kind of missed that. I want to go back to that. But anyways, that's what they're saying. And after you see it all makes sense now, Lazarus was raised from the dead. They see the magical powers of Jesus. And so here he comes into the city. Oh, Hosanna, save us, free us. You're the guy that can raise people from the dead. That's the crowd, right? The crowd, the crowd. 
that crowd to me is a representation of many of us in this room, guys. <laughs> us in this room. I know that some in that crowd was screaming Hosanna, not because they knew who Jesus was, but only because they heard about him. And they seen the effects that he has on others. So what they were doing, in essence, was just going with the flow. Oh, man, I feel accepted here. Why am I accepted? Oh, this Jesus. Hosanna! Hosanna! Going with the flow. They could care less about the mission of Jesus. But they knew that this man raised Lazarus from the dead, so surely this magical man could lead a revolt against the evil Roman Empire. And so they shouted, Hosanna! <laughs> Save us! Free us! We believe in you, Jesus! Hosanna! Matthew 21, verse 10 says, the entire city was steered up. So now the crowd was leading Jesus to Jerusalem. They make it to Jerusalem, and now the whole city was steered up. The whole city. Could you imagine if Tempe was all steered up? Like the whole city of Tempe was all steered up for Jesus? Wouldn't that be cray cray? That'd be crazy. Uh, I was talking to David Willis this morning, and he told me, Dude, I was reading some commentaries, and they said that the city of Jerusalem at that time was probably like 2 million people. I was like, oh, my gosh. Forget Tempe, right? The whole city was steered up. I was like, but you know what, Dave? If I just saw our congregation steered up, I mean, I don't need 2 million people. And I'm not even saying you guys have to be saved and sanctified and walking like this. I just want to see people steered up for Jesus, steered up and not drug here. Oh, mama bringing me to church again. You're not steered up about Christ. These people were, were, they were curious. They were asking questions. Why is everybody so excited? What's going on here? I would love to see that here. I would love to see people steered up and having debates and all these things and all the singing and talking and everything that's going on was steered up because of Jesus. I would love to see that here. What a sight that must have been for that whole city to be talking about our Savior. And here Jesus was riding in on a donkey, receiving the praise of the people. The city... See, when you're in the city, they love to, like, chill out on rooftops. You know what I mean? They weren't always on ground level. So they would love to chill out on rooftops or on the top of big buildings and things like that. So they were looking down, too. So the city seen Jesus entering in, escorted by his nobles. Who in the world were Jesus' nobles? Tax collectors. Fishermen. Ordinary people like you and me poor people. He's being escorted into the city by regular folk. I hope you see uh, as we compare Rome and how I showed you how they did it with this, that's why I said it's poverty's anthem. This is poverty's dance. The whole city is seeing this. It's not Jesus coming in dressed in all these fine linens. What was he dressed in? He was dressed in the cloaks of his people. That's what we just read. He was dressed in those garments. Oh, what a filthy nasty sight that must have been. What a filthy sight. Because they were so hyped up that Jesus, the man that rose Lazarus from the dead, was entering into their city. They didn't have clean clothes on. They were funky probably. And they took this stuff off and they threw it on them. They were hyped up. They took a spontaneous praise. Oh, I love that. The spontaneous praise. Jesus captured them and they started throwing their garments on the ground. 
They started doing these things. What a filthy, like if you're standing on the rooftops and you're looking down, you're like, this is the dirtiest triumphal entry I've ever seen. What in the world is happening here? What is going on? Who is this? The questions are being asked. Jesus was not draped in fine linen, but he rode into that city covered by the garments of his people. Oh, I hope you guys get that. What a glorious picture that is. When you see their garments as your sin. The filthy stains of the people covering Jesus, the righteous one, the perfect and pure one. What a glorious picture that is. And many laid their dirty garments on the ground. And those garments were being triumphantly walked upon by our Savior. Victory. Oh, there's victory in Jesus. Alhambra Church, I hope that you see this. I hope your eyes aren't closed to this. You can't be standing on the rooftops. You can't be the one just asking questions. What's going on? What's happening down there? You have to get a view from the streets. If you haven't had eyes, if you haven't seen Jesus from the view of the street, from a street level, then I would argue that you haven't seen him. You just haven't seen him. I pray right now that God would open up your eyes to see the beauty of his son. That God, by the power of his spirit, will open your eyes so that you, right now, will lay your garment at the foot of the Savior. Lay it down. I pray that, God. I pray that you would open their eyes so that they could cast their filthy stains on you. If you don't see those palm branches that were cut down, and if you don't see those filthy garments that were laid down, if you don't see those as rose petals being spread, if you don't see those as the robes just like those other nobles gave, if you don't see those filthy garments as eloquent robes being laid down at the foot of the cross, at the foot of our Savior, then you don't see Jesus. If you don't see the rose petals and the fine linen, then I bet you you're not recognizing our King of Kings and our Lord of Lords in his transforming power. That's what he does. And that is the view from the streets. Now we're going to move on to the house. So the city, they started following Jesus, right? Because they had some other things in mind of what was going on. So they started following Jesus. As Jesus made his entry into Jerusalem, he was headed to his father's house, and the city was following him. Now, when I'm watching a kick returner return back the football, right, and he breaks free, in my mind, I actually hope that this guy is a knucklehead. You know why? Because if this guy that is really, really fast and he's returning the ball, when he scores a touchdown, there is going to be a great show afterwards. They're going to be getting a celebration on. So I'm like, okay, I hope this is like Deshaun Jackson or somebody that's going to run and just do something silly and crazy and just mind-blowing and get fined because they don't care because they really want to see all this stuff happen. I bet you that's exactly what the city was doing as they were following Jesus to the house. They were following him there in great anticipation. They couldn't wait to see what's Jesus going to do? What's he going to do? Maybe he's going to 
raise another man from the dead. That's going to be his end zone dance. Maybe he's going to multiply some things again. Give us some fish. Give us some bread. Maybe that's what he's going to do. Or maybe he's going to give us a speech on how he's going to use his magical powers to overthrow the empire. Maybe that's what's going to happen when we make it to the house. But what did Jesus do? What was his celebration? He made it to the house and got all gangsta on him, didn't he? Got all gangsta on the merchants that made his father's house of prayer into a den of thieves. And they also made it into a marketplace of robbers. Jesus got real to a lot of people right there. He got real. The city was not expecting that. Jesus was yelling at folks, chasing people off, turning over tables, doing all kinds of stuff. And these were the people that were screaming, Hosanna. Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna. And now they're seeing Jesus getting all cray-cray on them like this. The parallel that this has for us today is mind-blowing. Now, I'm not saying that our church here is perfect. We're not perfect. I'm not saying that our leadership team doesn't have flaws. But one thing that I am saying is we love God here. We love God. We love our Father's house. We love the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And I've seen people come to this place expecting something. That's not bad. But they were coming to this place expecting something. Why? Because they've seen my wife and I go through this dramatic change, this huge change. Like, oh, man, what in the world is going on there? i got to go there. So those people came here, and they came here like, okay, Where's Lazarus? Where is he? Where's the, where's the two fish and the five loaves? Where's that? Where's that? They were expecting those things. They were like, where's the revolt? Where's the revolt against my wife? Because I know she's wrong. Who's going to have my back on that? Because I'm really struggling with my marriage. Where's the revolt against my husband? I know he's wrong. Who's going to help me on that? Where's that at? I know that's how Wes and Lynn got their marriage tra- drastically changed. Somebody's on Wes's side. Yeah, really. <laughs> but that's what people were expecting. But what happened? What happened was they experienced when they got here to this place the idolatrous tables of their hearts being tossed over. That's what I experienced. When I got here, oh my goodness, I had idols all up in here and they were all getting shattered. And that's what people experience when they come here. They experience the Spirit of God warring against their sin nature. And driving away, just like Jesus was whipping people and driving them out. But the Spirit of God is driving away that sin nature from our hearts. They experience the realness of Jesus infiltrating every nook and cranny of their mundane lives. Because here we believe that all of life is all for Jesus. So they experience those things. And that's why many of them, just like the city and the Pharisees that followed Jesus in the house of prayer, they became indignant. They got very annoyed, frustrated, and they left. So I believe just as Jesus had to do some preliminary work on the house before teaching in the temple, we too, as followers of Christ, we need to recognize when Jesus is doing some house cleaning on us. Got to recognize that. Now that's a touchdown for King Jesus. That's how he took it to the house. And how did he celebrate? By liberating our souls. That's taking it to the house. And last, we're moving into the temple. This is my last point, and this is why you guys love me so much. You're looking at your clock like, what? How in the world? Wait, he said last point. 
That's why you guys love me. So as Christians, though, we understand that there is a spiritual element to the kingdom of God, right? We understand that? There's a spiritual element. Jesus said that his kingdom is not of this world. Remember that when he was talking to Pilate? Pilate's like, so what's good? You a king? Where your kingdom at? He's like, man, suck up my kingdom ain't of this world. You guys remember that? <laughs> That's what he said. <laughs> but Paul makes it clear, though, in 1 Corinthians 3.16, right? He says that we are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in us. Right? He says that in 1 Corinthians 3.16. And then he also says in 1 Corinthians 6.19 that our body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. I heard so many people butcher that text. You see, your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. That's why you don't need to be smoking. Because that's the temple of the Lord. But see, they didn't. <laughs> that's way out of context. It's not what it means. You don't be putting none of that filth. But grandmama, you be drinking coffee that has caffeine? Hey, that's different. Oh, my goodness, Grandma. So that's what 1 Corinthians 6.19 talks about. And so Jesus, as he's entering into Jerusalem, headed to the house of prayer, not turning away the praise of his people, what, in essence, what he's doing is he's ascending to his palace. He's now ready to sit on his throne, which is the hearts of men or mankind, for the women that don't like me saying men. Not understanding that's <laughs> universal, okay? And he's not telling his disciples to be quiet anymore, is he? His disciples in the whole city and everybody's screaming, Hosanna, Hosanna, our Messiah, Jesus, Jesus. He's not telling them to be quiet. He's letting it happen. He's allowing them to shout. He's allowing them to worship. And by allowing the crowds to praise him and by allowing the children to run up to him and say, Hosanna to the son of David, what Jesus is doing is he's accepting his kingship over his people. Got to understand that his kingdom is so very different than what's expected of an earthly kingdom. Let's do a little compare and contrast. Earthly kingdoms are always established through war. They are established by force and they're sustained by physical might, right? That's how earthly kingdoms are established. However, Jesus' kingdom was established by sacrificial love. And it's sustained by unending mercy. And it's also sustained by this eternal river of grace flowing into the hearts of his people. It's the difference between that kingdom and the earthly kingdom. Earthly kings, they have their nobles. And that always reminds me of hip-hoppers with entourages. It's like there's one guy that's kind of important. The rest of you suckers, you know, so that's what kind of reminds me of. So... Earthly kings have their royal nobles that follow them around and do all the things that they want to do. And they have their great armies to protect the empire, right? So they have their great armies. However, what did Jesus do? How is he establishing his kingdom? He exalts the lowly. <laughs> and he honors the servant. So very different. So very different. Earthly kingdoms, you know what they do? They divide and they conquer nations. They do that in order to expand their rule and reign. Jesus, however, what he does is he conquers the hearts and the minds of his people. In doing that, he expands his rule and reign. It's amazing how Jesus works. It's amazing. The people of Jerusalem, just like many people today, they were and are still seeking a temporal peace that has been proven to never last. Earthly kingdoms are built and they are destroyed. They don't last. However, the message of Christ is peace with God 
There's peace. There's no more enmity between you and the Savior. There's no more war between you and God. But there's this eternal, everlasting peace with the creator of all things. So although this triumphal entry did physically happen, it did. It happened. There's a triumphal entry. There's a real triumphal entry when the Savior has given you eyes to see him wearing your old garments and him accepting your praise. There's a triumphal entry right there. Jesus is still triumphantly entering into the lives of his people as he unzips us, so to speak, and then proceeds to enter into us by the power of his Holy Spirit. And when that happens, the words and the deeds that come from us, they reveal Jesus. They reveal Christ. That's by the power of his transforming work. And then our life, our life after that, has no other choice but to say, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna to the son of David, Hosanna to Jesus in the highest. Let's pray. Father, I pray that your people, that we heard you today. I pray, God, that your son was glorified. I pray that the triumphal entry was vividly displayed today as we will soon see this Friday how quick a crowd can go from Hosanna to crucified. How quick a crowd could follow your son to the house of prayer and then follow him to the courthouse to be indicted and then with jeers and spit and anger follow him up the hill of Golgotha to be crucified. I pray now, Father, that New hearts have been transformed. I pray that new hearts have been opened. And I pray that your son has triumphantly entered into those hearts. I pray that someone in this crowd of people today, I pray that their hearts have changed. I pray that they became a believer today. I pray that someone, someone has been blessed to experience you driving the idols out of their hearts. I pray, God, that they have decided finally to lay down their garments, to place their garments on your shoulders today. So now they can actually praise you without hindrance because of your unyielding mercy and your river of grace given to them. And Father, I pray for your people today, the ones that follow you. I pray the ones that know that they're yours. I pray for them today, the ones that need to be strengthened your children. I pray for them today. I pray that, that this was a reminder of Christ's love for them. And I pray that a flame has, be, has been rekindled in them. And I pray, God, that their, their soul is no longer downcast, but they once again delight in you. I pray that for your children. I pray that they find all their joy in you. God, for, for, for your children, for us, I pray that we repent of foolishly neglecting what is good and chasing after that which is fleeting. I pray that for us, God. Father, we love you for all that you are. And Father, we trust you in all that you're doing. We long for the day to see you face to face, God. We anticipate the moment that eternity fully opens up our eyes and we no longer have to see through this cloudy lens. Thank you, God, for being so good to us. We love you, God, and we praise you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
This podcast was recorded at Redemption Alhambra Village in Phoenix, Arizona. For more information about Redemption Alhambra Village, visit redemptionaz.com.